would please follow the reading of the word, beginning in verse 10. I give my opinion in this matter, for this is to your advantage, who were the first to begin a year ago, not only to do this, but also to desire to do it. But now, finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may be also the completion of it by your ability. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For this is not the case of others, for your affliction, but by the way of equality. At this present time, your abundance being a supply for their need, so that their abundance may also become a supply for your need, and there may be equality, as it is written. He who has gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little had no lack. But thanks be to God, who puts the same earnestness on your behalf in the heart of Titus. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, has gone to you of his own accord. We have sent along with him the brother whose fame in the things of the gospel has spread through all of the churches. And not only this, but he also has been appointed by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord himself to show our readiness, taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. For we have regard for what is honorable, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. We have sent with them our brother who has been often tested and found diligent in many ways. But now even more diligent because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he is my partner, my fellow worker among you. As for our brethren, they are messengers of the churches of the glory of Christ. Therefore, openly before the churches, show them the proof of your love and of our reason of boasting about you. For it is superfluous for me to write to you about this ministry to the saints, for I know your readiness and of which I boasted about you to the Macedonians. Namely, Achaia has been prepared since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I have sent the brethren in order that our boasting about you may not be empty in this case, so that, as I was saying, you may be prepared. Otherwise, if the Macedonians come to me and find you unprepared, not to speak to you, but will be put to the shame by this confidence. So I thought it necessary to urge the brethren that they would go on ahead of you and arrange beforehand your previously promised bountiful gift the same would be ready as the bountiful gift and not affected by covetousness. Father, help us to hear. Help us to see the love of the Corinthians and the love of the Macedonians and the love of these men who've taken this task to support the saints in Jerusalem. Father, may we be overwhelmed by the same love. And Father, may we stand in the gap in prayer, in praise, in your word and in our sacrificial giving. Thank you, my king, for all that you have done. And may we be found worthy of the awesome deeds that you have done to you and you alone, my father. 
and my Savior, my Lord in Christ. Amen. This is the second part of this, uh, what I call the giving for accountability. How do, how do I have accountability? Verses 18 through 23. And we, we stepped into this last week and we found out that Titus was going to go, but there was going to be a brother, a brother who was noted for his preaching. He was noted and was famous for, for what he did. And he was going to go along with Titus and yet it was be Titus and Paul who were going to administer this generous gift, huge gift. And yet, even in that, they had the accountability of this other person who was known by the churches. And the churches had appointed him to also go with Titus so that this money would be secured. But if you look at it, Paul is taking more and more precautions. And, and it's not that Paul couldn't be trusted. It's not that Titus couldn't be trusted. Okay, I, I remember a guy one time, um, uh, if I told you his name, everybody would know him. And he was doing a radio promotion and they wanted to have uh, a meet and greet uh, at this school. And they did. And the guy who was ahead of the manager of the radio station said, uh, well, we're going to take up an offering to give to, to your broadcast. And he said, well, all right. And he said, well, how, we don't have no plates. We don't have anything going on. It was kind of a spur of the moment. And they were at the school. So they went into the kitchen and they found this big, huge trash can. Okay, and uh, if you've ever been in a, a school, you know what kind of size trash cans I'm talking about. A great big monster trash can. And uh, so... They did their thing, and people during the evening would throw into this trash can. And so when they got done, it was my, uh, you would know him, and, and the station manager, and they walk over, and this trash can is full. Okay, this huge trash can. And they're like, what am I going to do with this? It's not like I can put this on my carry-on bag and fly, you know, back home with this huge volume of money. And the guy says, well, I don't know what to do with it. He says, here's what I want you to do. He says, I trust you. I'm going to let you take care of it. Okay. Take it back to the radio station, get somebody to count it, and then just write a check and send it to the radio station or to, to the ministry. And he says, well, all right, what are we going to do with it now? He says, well, I would like to go get something to eat. I haven't eaten. And he says, all right. So the carry takes two of them to carry this trash can out, right? And the guy opens up his trunk and he takes this trash can and he dumps it into the trunk of his car and it fills the trunk. Okay, so they shut the trunk and they go to the restaurant and they're driving over there. And the guy said, uh, uh, he says, well, you know, um, I don't have any cash. And he says, well, you know, we'll take a ten dollar bill out of the I'm sure that. You know, the ministry can give me $10. And he said, well, you ain't got no cash? He says, my wife gives me $3 on Monday. And by Thursday, when I need more, she says, what'd you do with your money? Okay. So, so they stop at a restaurant, right? And he says, I'll just go and I'll get a $10 bill out of there and we'll have dinner. So he opens up the trunk. It's full of cash. Okay. You know, probably some checks there, but this thing's full. So he opens it up and he's kind of looking around. It's dark. And all of a sudden this drunk comes out of the restaurant and he glances over and he says, what in the world have you done? Rob a bank? And he was going to tell him. And then he thought, 
This drunk, if I tell him I'm a pastor and I've got a trunk full of cash, he's going to say, more reason to drink. So he didn't tell him. He just shut the trunk, told the guy he lost his appetite, let's go to the room. (laughs) Okay? Now, I tell you that because in our society today, it really wouldn't surprise me to see a pastor with a trunk full of money. Especially if you've got a TV or radio ministry. Why? There's people just taking up money, throwing, throwing money at it. Isn't that true? I see that going on and I know that it, it happens. Okay? I think that we need to be leery about what we give to. And that's what these nine points will help you do. Paul was taking precautions. Look at verse 20. Taking precautions so that no one will discredit us in our administration of this generous gift. All right. It wasn't that Paul and Titus couldn't be trusted. It's that Paul and Titus's enemies couldn't be trusted. Critics are everywhere. And and listen, this goes on. I want to show you some things because you can see this throughout this letter. Go over to chapter 11, verse 7. Did I commit a sin by humbling myself so that you might be exalted because I preached the gospel of God to you without charge? See, that proves that the accusations against Paul had been around for a while. He's in it for the money. Perhaps from the start of the church in Corinth. Listen. Paul was a man without a people. The Jews hated him. He had left the Pharisees. He had left Judaism. Okay? The church didn't trust him. Because he had been a persecutor of the church. So God says, there's only one group of people out there that you're going to be able to be moving through. Who is that? The Gentiles. The Gentiles. And it is typical for false teachers to do it for the money. It's a pattern that's been around for history. As long as I can remember, they do it for the pattern. We were talking about the book of Judges this morning. You had priests that would go and do whatever you wanted as long as you paid them. It isn't new. The religious people have been doing that for centuries. In the time of the writing of this letter, you had philosophers who would run around and act like they had a wisdom that nobody else had. And what did they do with it? They charged their students to learn what I know. Well, that sounds like health, wealth, and prosperity people. I mean, we got, you know... All kinds of organizations and groups that will charge you to make your life better because I'm smarter than you. They still do it. But it was a big business, especially in the Greek peninsula, because the Greeks thought that they had it all figured out. And if not, they would make up something. All of the philosophers came from there. And it's all of this self-help stuff. 
I can make you better. I, you know, I, I, I was listening to a radio program the other day and the guy is going to do a financial thing to help you with 2014 taxes and the new Obamacare thing and all of this stuff. And I will help you maintain your wealth for 2014. But room is limited. I can only take 5,000 at 150 ahead. Well, I can tell you how to maintain wealth. Go rent you a building, tell everybody you know what you're doing, and charge them a hundred dollars. And I'll maintain my wealth. They just figure Paul's in it for the money. Trying to make a buck. And you know what? In a city the size of Corinth, in a location like Corinth, with the traffic that Corinth had, you would have had these guys a dime a dozen. If you read that on in that, you don't think that they weren't after Paul. Look what verse 8 says. I robbed other churches by taking wages from them to serve you. I love that. From the very start, they were saying he was doing it for the money. Okay? They said that he was robbing the church in Corinth. And they were paying attention to it. They pay attention to it. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 9? We have a right to take money. And I didn't take it. And I did not charge for the gospel. Why? There's too many running around Corinth at that time. There's too many running around in Castle Rock. That are coming and teaching and they are doing nothing but taking the money. I've had pastors look me straight in the eye and tell me that the demographic study of Castle Rock says there's enough resources here to support 131 churches. You know what you just told me? You're doing it for the money. You're doing it for the money. And Paul was going to avoid that. I ain't here for the money and I don't want your money. I robbed other churches. I love it. Sarcasm. One of my favorite biblical theologies sarcasm I robbed other churches to serve you he's being sarcastic to his accuser look what he says here verse 9 and when I was present with you and was in need okay did you see that when I was present with you and in need I was not a burden to anyone probably the Macedonian churches helped him He was in need and didn't even tell him. And I never took anything from you. For when the brethren came in from Macedonia, they fully supplied my need. And in everything, I kept myself from what? Being a burden to you. And will continue to do so. See, the Macedonians had assisted him. Even when he was in need, he did not ask the Corinthians 
The Macedonians met that need. From the start, he took absolutely nothing from the Corinthians. You can go on over, chapter 12, verse 14. Here for the third time, I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden to you. For I do not seek what is yours, but you. For children are not responsible to save up for their parents, but the parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I loved you more, am I to be loved less? He says, I'm not going to be a burden. I'm not coming back asking for nothing. That's not going to happen. I want to be spent for your souls. See, we got the Corinthians have it backwards. They think that Paul's trying to take their stuff. The accusers, the critics, that's what they're going to do. And yet, even in verse 16, more sarcasm. But be that it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Certainly, I have not taken advantage of you though through uh, any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? He's saying, see, he's so crafty that what he would do is he'll send Titus down to take a love offering and for the Jerusalem church and give it to Paul. He says, no, I didn't do that. Okay, but he, he, he dripping with the crafty fellow that I am. So deceptive. Okay, somebody is making these accusations against the Apostle Paul. So you know what Paul did? He steered clear of it. He brought up, he knew what the pain was in Jerusalem, what was going on in the church in Jerusalem. He knew what was happening, but now he has got himself multiple layers of people. Verse 18 I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take any advantage of you. Did he? What's the track record say, Corinth? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? Isn't Titus doing the same thing I did? All of this indicates that there were accusations being done. And let's be realistic. Paul was a hated man. Right? Uh, you can you can say whatever you want. They didn't like Paul. Ain't nobody cared much for Paul, nor his ministry. And if you look at it, everywhere he was, immediately after he left, the false come pouring in. Why? They want to destroy. Paul's integrity had been challenged. And you know what I've learned? And I have read in Scripture that validates it. Critics don't shut up. Even when they are proved wrong, they won't shut up. They continue on and on and on and on. And Paul had many enemies. So many wanted to just destroy him. If we can destroy the apostle, we can destroy his ministry. And he understood that. And the attack was on money. If you go back to your text there, 820. It was a generous gift and he was taking every precaution so it wouldn't be discredited. 
Why? The word generous there means it is abundant. It was huge. This was, and if you think about it, if you're gathering from all the churches for one ministry in one location, it's going to be a pretty good sized offering. Especially if it's been going on for over a year. Right? That's why you see part of this. But if you read on, he gives a reason on why is he being such a stickler about these precautions. He, he's giving the utmost effort and energy and focus to the accountability of it. And in verse 21, he says, For we have regard for what is honorable. That word regard is truly fascinating. Um, it, it literally means for what is beyond question. What is beyond suspicion. It literally means my focus is on the nobility of it. We are, are trying to take all consideration in from even the way this thing looks that it's not wrong. He's careful. He's thoughtful to consider what is honorable. Because look what he says. Not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. You know, some get into this that as long as we are right before God, who really cares what men think? Okay? Paul, it mattered what men thought. Because the enemy of truth and the enemies of the the ministries of the church criticize stuff that is shady. And in some cases, criminal. Listen, if a church gets caught with its hand in the cookie jar, you know it. It's on every news channel. I mean, they all—they're—they're just waiting. And I'm listen. There are crooks out there, charlatans, deceivers, trickery of men, deceitful people. I understand that completely. And you always see it in the newspaper. Or the, the local news or 60 Minutes or 2020 or one of them other shows. Nightline's going to do a special on it. Okay, why? Yeah, look at these guys are just taking your money. Paul says, I'm going to remove any suspicion. Why? In regard for what is honorable. Okay, when he looks at honorable, in regard to what is honorable, we immediately say, okay, before to God. That's fine. It makes sense. But he says, I want it to be honorable before men. I don't want critics. Listen, they're still going to throw things at you. Don't don't ever kid yourself. But I do want you to know that when it comes to the handling of the money, you put it and you cover it. And it is all accounted for. They can't touch it. They can't bring you down for that one. And let me, you know, and I hear this. Churches just want your money. You know, some do. But I'm the guy who got up and said, you know what? There ain't no such thing as a tithe. And everybody goes, what? Yeah, there ain't no tithe. Whatever your heart is. Whatever your heart's being led, you give that. Paul wants none of this criticism, these accusations. They're going to still accuse him. All right? He makes, he's got enemies. When you are being used the way God was using Paul, 
you're going to have all kinds of enemies. And they will not shut up. Paul wants none of it. Paul wants the Lord to look at what he's doing and be pleased. Did you ever think about that? Have you ever had that thought? I want God to look at what I'm doing and be pleased. Been interesting to live 2014, wouldn't it? But Paul says, I want anyone to look at what I'm doing and be pleased. Handle money in an open, honest setting. Let it be seen. We do that here. Here's what we do. I mean, you can just go through the numbers. This is what we're doing. That shows integrity to the stewardship, but it also is obedient to the word of God. Let me show you. I'll give you an Old Testament. There's a lot on this, but I'll give you an Old Testament and a New Testament. How's that? Proverbs chapter 3, verse 4. So you will find favor and good repute in sight of God and man. Then you go to letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verse 17. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. All men. That's amazing. So many in quote-unquote ministry have no accountability. Okay? A lot of times, a ministry is just a term that is used for tax purposes. Call it a ministry. I can file it as a 503C and I don't have to pay taxes. I'm considered charitable. Okay? And, and I'm talking about, go down the line. There are all kinds of things that are ministries. All right? Why? Well, I don't want to pay taxes. Well, none of us want to pay taxes, but it says pay your taxes. All right? It's not hard. That's not a deep theological discussion. That's what it says. Pay your taxes. But I don't want to. doesn't matter. Pay your taxes. Those that I see that don't have any accountability, I know that they are seeking money. Okay? I got people who want to come to this church uh, probably a few times a month. They call me and say, I want to minister to your people. Okay? And uh, listen, it's everything from, well, musicians are the big thing. But I've got puppeteers, Christian, uh, what do they call it? Magician. You name it. Whatever the world has, we got one that Christ has. Okay? And they all want to come and minister to my people. Okay? And then they all tell me how much they charge to minister to my people. And I think it's very gracious of you. <laughs> but you ain't coming. Okay, 
See what I mean? But I'm a ministry. No, you're a magician. <laughs> and I got a really cool card trick that for $10,000, I'll show you how I do it. Listen, when the truth of these things come out, they meet the news headlines, do they not? Right? When, when, when the pastor or the elder or the deacon board or whatever get caught with their hands in the cookie jar, live, Ronaldo Rivera is right there with his camera. Right? And, and you sit there, and you know what? That brings shame to the church. It brings shame to the ministry. It brings shame to our Lord and our Savior. And you can say, well, this is not real. It doesn't matter. They've already got the press. I mean, some of you will remember Waco, Texas. Right? Remember Waco? They kept calling it a church and a Christian. He was neither. But they kept calling it a church and a Christian, a church and a Christian. That wasn't a Christian. It definitely wasn't no church. But we all get lumped into that. You guys, some of you will, some of you won't. Remember Jim Jones? He received the Presidential Peace Award for spiritual revelations from Jimmy Carter. All of the politicians wanted to have their picture taken by him. That worked out well. No single human being has done more for society than Jim Jones. Yeah, we've got a new saying out now. They must be drinking the Kool-Aid. He's done a lot for us. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? They don't have accountability until you see him in the news. Verse 22 now, this gets kind of bizarre, and, I, and I'll show you something here, because this looks like another person. And here's the reason I say that. Now, we know we've got a famous preacher that's going with Titus. We looked at that last week, remember? Now, look what he says here in 22. We have sent with them. Okay, that's plural. Who was them? Titus and the preacher. Our brother. Whom we have often tested and found diligent in many things, but now even more diligent. Now, if you drop on down again, look at verse 23. As for Titus, he is my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brethren. Now we go plural. All right. They are plural messengers of the church. So it looks like you've got Titus. This famous preacher, and now one that Paul knows, the Corinthians knows because he's standing there, who the churches knew. All right? So Paul's not done. He's got a man that's got no name who is zealous and devoted and passionate and approved. That's not bad. When you see that word diligent, it's zeal. He has a zeal. Now I've got more. I've got two men that the churches know. I've got Titus, who the Corinthians know. And you know that Titus has walked with me. And you know me, Paul. Okay, this person 
is even more diligent because of his great confidence in the Corinthians. Okay, he is more zealous, probably because he saw the response to the severe letter. He saw the restoration of the relationship between the Corinthian believers and the Apostle Paul. That's what you call careful accountability. Careful accountability. I've got two guys that are outside of my immediate realm that all the churches know who they are. One of them is a famous preacher. I've got Titus who his zeal for the Corinthians, he's getting his frequent flyer miles cashed in going back and forth between Ephesus and Corinth. And now Paul. Now I want to show you something because this accountability, he sums it up there in verse 23. As for Titus, okay, they know who Titus is. As for Titus, he is my partner. The fellow worker among you. Okay, he basically is going to summarize his financial committee. That's what he's doing. He is my partner. He is my fellow worker. He explains him. Then he says, the brethren, that's the plural, these two other guys, that we don't have their names, are messengers of the churches. Okay, now we know the one guy was appointed by the churches. We already looked at it in verse 19. Now we find out that they are both messengers of the churches. Now, you know what the word is? Apostolos. Apostolos. It means a messenger. It really, it, it, it actually means someone who's officially authorized representative. Okay, when you see apostolos, that's what it means. When you see it says the apostle Paul, he is an official authorized representative of Christ. We started with 12 apostles, right? Who commissioned them? It wasn't the church. Christ commissioned them. And he gave them... When you get commissioned by somebody, if I was to send someone out as an apostle, then I'm going to tell them what I want to accomplish. Jesus said, you have seen my resurrection, proclaim my good news. That's what the twelve did. Now I have two more. But they are apostles of who? Who's sending them out? The church is sending them out. The church is. Someone who is charged, someone who is commissioned with an official duty. The role is being understood by knowing who has commissioned them and for what you have commissioned. I have to know who's sending me and I have to know what you want me to do that you're sending me. There's a couple of times when I have traveled to Russia where you guys sent me and the churches told me what they wanted me to do. Technically, that's apostolos. Now, I ain't going to run around and call myself the Apostle Ball. Okay. Just, just, for, just, just for your information. <laughs> okay? Because that sounds corny, corny. Messengers, messengers are unique to who has commissioned them. The original 12, 
was sent by Jesus Christ. On the road to Damascus, who commissioned Paul? Christ. These two guys were sent out by the churches. The churches knew who they were. The apostles were going to preach the resurrection. And these two are commissioned by the church to go with Paul and Titus and secure this offering, abundant, huge offering, and make sure that it gets to Jerusalem. Okay, that's what the churches want to do. We've taken up an offering. We've pulled all of our offerings together. This group of men will make sure that that offering gets to the saints in Jerusalem. Now, I want to show you something here. It's kind of funny that this came out on the first message of this year, but I want you to think about this for a second. They're messengers of the churches, apostolos of the churches. Okay? Look how it ends, verse 23. A glory to Christ. A glory to Christ. Can you think of any greater compliment? That's amazing to me. What more could be said of a servant of the Lord than to bring glory to Christ? Stephen Olford, when he preached, every time I ever seen him preach, big crew or little crew, it didn't matter. I've I, I seen him in a 10,000 seat auditorium preaching. Uh, I've seen him in a little fireplace room preaching. I've seen him preach at Bellevue. And I don't, Bellevue is m- the most massive building I've ever seen in my life. Um, I remember driving the Interstate 40 past it and going and going by, past this big old brick building, brick building, brick building. And I mean blocks and blocks and blocks and blocks. And I thought it was a mall. Then down at the end, it's got one of them big old white steeples. And you're like, huh, that's like the mother of all churches. I've seen him preach there. Bellevue Baptist is so big. They've got three levels of balconies. And I was sitting in the third balcony. Okay, on, on the front row of the third balcony. Okay, and the preacher is about that tall. But they've got this great big humongous like drive-in theater screen behind you. So you get to see who you're looking at. But you see this. I mean, when Stephen Olfer got up there, you got this little bitty Welsh guy. And it's like, who's that? But anyway. Any time that he preached, there was a standing ovation. Never seen anything like it. I have seen some powerful preachers. I have been blessed in that regard. But when Stephen Olford preached and everywhere I saw him, people stood up and applauded. And he always did the same thing every single time. Okay, even like in these little classes that I took under his teaching, he'd always do this. It's Christ. He'd point to heaven. And it didn't matter whether it was this massive group of people or 10 of us. He always pointed to heaven because he understood that any teaching that he did that brought applause was to the glory of Christ. 
He understood that. These men, messengers of the churches, a glory to Christ because of their holiness, because of their virtue, because of their spiritual commitment, because of their obedience to the word of God, they bring honor to Christ. A glory to Christ. Now listen. This is crucial. Put your money in the hands of God's best. You want those people who are living to the glory of Christ. Those people who have a passion, a zeal, a earnestness, an overwhelming desire that cannot be quenched to please God. Those are the ones you want to put the money in. Anything lesser than that, you're putting your money at risk. Those, listen, those who bring Christ glory. You, you, now hear me, this is good. Those who bring Christ glory could never bring his church shame. Integrity and in giving, integrity and in stewardship. Trust with the godly. Trust with the strongest. Those who are bringing glory to the Lord. That's accountability. And you can see it. You've got to have a person who has a known character. Okay? You want preachers and teachers. Men who are mastered by the book. You want those who walk the most closely to Christ. You want those who most honor Christ. And you will silence all critics. Because there's nothing they can say. All right? So, giving is voluntary. Giving is faithful. Giving as one has. Giving balances the body. Giving is submission. And giving... Is for accountability. And you'll see it. Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for Titus. And Lord, thank you for these two men. Who are a glory unto you. Father, I eagerly wait the day that I will meet them. But Father, as we move this year. I pray that everyone here. Will have a fire in them. That they be a glory unto Christ. And the Father, we would walk shoulder to shoulder, arm in arm, in this amazing task that you have us here for this time as we proclaim the gospel, the resurrected Christ, and the ministries of your precious church. Father, may we honor you and never shame your church. In Christ's name, amen.